Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi. We hope you enjoy this episode. Child podcast. It is so great to have you with us. I am super excited for today's episode. We have a Christmas special for Christmas for you. And I have a very good friend who is no stranger to the Eagle and Child podcast. Absolute brilliant man, John Adams, who's also a missionary in Haiti. John, how are you going? Doing well at the moment. How are you? Good, thank you. It's so good to have you with us. And I'm super excited because today we're going to be talking about St. Nicholas or Santa Claus. But John, I thought before we could, it's things have been crazy in Haiti and being a Christmas special, I thought maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's been going on and how our listeners or viewers might be able to pray for you guys or support you guys in this Christmas period. Sure. Yeah, Haiti's been under... Uh the government has more or less been controlled by gangs. Um, Crazy. Uh, gangs are blocking the shipment of gas at the moment. And uh, uh, they've been kidnapping a lot of people. Uh, there are a few foreigners still being held by gangs at the moment. They've kind of been releasing wow. them slowly. And uh, you still can't buy gas at a gas station here. Uh, but things are kind of slowly getting back to normal. And uh, the government just announced some new measures today. So, Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to get gas again soon. But I've had to oh buy gas gosh. in a 60-gallon barrel on the black market for the last few months. Wow, that's crazy, John. That's yeah. insane. Um, can you tell us a little bit maybe about how we can support you or how, how we can pray for you guys? Is there anything in particular that you guys want for the church in Haiti? Uh, well, just pray for financial provision. Uh, the prices mm-hmm. of everything keep going up and up and up. I'm paying like five times as much to renew my legal residency here as I did last year. Wow. Uh, so, and, but of course that affects the people here a lot more than it affects missionaries. Uh, mm-hmm. So just pray that God would make a way for Haiti somehow uh, so that, uh, yeah. you know, life wouldn't be so incredibly hard. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, thank you, John. And thank you so much for joining us, especially in this crazy time over there. Um, I'm excited to talk about St. Nicholas. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe his background, where he's from, where this idea came from? I know that, like, you know, he's become a, a little bit of a myth and a legend as well. So who is St. Nicholas? Where where does he come from? Right. So uh, he's Nicholas of Myra. He's mm. the historical uh basis for Santa Claus, although the Santa Claus myth is like, you know, thousands of years removed from the actual man. Um, He, some people have debated whether he existed at all, like until quite recently, um, people, scholars weren't quite sure that he did, but a Dominican friar in Italy has dug up uh, a bunch of new information and has kind of cemented the fact that he really did exist. And it's Mm -hmm. even likely that he really did attend the Council of Nicaea which uh, wow. was one of the largest church councils in the early 300s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a man who became known for his generosity. Uh, he also served as a bishop in uh, what is now Turkey for wow. uh, decades, for about 50 years until his death. And he lived through the period of transition uh, where Christianity went from being a minority religion, uh, reviled and persecuted by the Roman government, 
to being the official religion of the Roman government. And so he went from being persecuted for his faith as in his early life as a bishop uh, to being uh, basically given special status because of his position as a bishop. And he used that uh, to accomplish uh, a lot uh, during his lifetime. Oh. Uh, he, and it's kind of amazing that we know about him at all because he, he really didn't leave behind any writings. Uh, wow. It was only over time that stories about him began to be written down. And a lot of it's enshrouded in myth, uh, mm. but a lot of it can be independently confirmed as well. Wow. Amazing, John. So can you tell us, I know you just mentioned that, you know, there's nothing written by him that's lasted or that we have, but maybe can you tell us a little bit about the events surrounding his life and what he's known for and, you know, these things that you talked about that can be confirmed? Yeah, he's known for a a lot of different things. Um, He's known uh, primarily today for his generosity. So the way his myth kind of got started is that he had a person in his neighborhood that he learned about who had fallen into deep poverty. And this man had three daughters and no one would marry the daughters because uh, of how poor they were. And the man was uh, contemplating uh, selling them into prostitution, Mm. which was like a last ditch resort that some people in the ancient world would would resort to. And Nicholas uh, had inherited uh, a large inheritance. He was his parents' only child. His parents, uh, raised him in the faith. Uh, They died when he was about 18, probably of a plague. And Nicholas was kind of uh, skeptical of the spiritual power of wealth. Uh, He thought that the wealth could corrupt him easily. And so he was asking God what to do with the wealth. And uh, when he heard about this story, he knew. And so he the story goes that he basically threw a bag of gold through the window one night in the middle of the night. And uh, when the man woke up, he found it on the floor and it was just enough for him to get his first daughter married. And eventually Nicholas came back two more times and gave him enough money to marry his other two daughters. Uh, But he did it anonymously. He would sneak off before the man could catch him. But the third time the man was waiting in the bushes and uh, and (laughs) caught him and found out who he was. And Nicholas basically said, you know, God bless you please don't tell anybody that I'm the one who did this. I don't want any credit. And since we're talking about it now, 1500 years later, 1700 years later, you can see. Yes, (laughs) amazing. Oh, that's so cool. And you can see the parallels there between like modern day Santa Claus and St. Nicholas. I love that. Are there any other sort of well-known events that um, we know of or that we can verify? Uh, Yes. So he, he lived through uh, uh, kind of the transition between uh, the uh, from being, you know, like uh, Christianity being a persecuted religion to Christianity being the official religion of the empire. And uh, when he was about 30 years old, uh, it was a time of intense persecution. And uh, the bishop in his region was, I don't remember if he was arrested or, or killed but they needed a new bishop. And so uh, the leaders of the church got together and prayed about who should be the next bishop of Myra. And uh, Nicholas, uh, or the senior bishop rather, received a vision in the middle of the night that basically uh, told the bishops to go pray in the church. And the first person to walk through the door is going to be named Nicholas and he'll be the next bishop. And so of course, Nicholas happens to go to church. Uh, (laughs) He's the next person to walk through the door. And they're like, congratulations, buddy. Yeah, you you're the, the bishop. 
that's amazing. And it was a terrible, it was probably about the worst possible time to be oh. a bishop. I mean, like he was, a, he was arrested and oh, beaten wow. right after, you know, starting his, his career as bishop. Uh, one of his colleagues was wow. killed. Uh, one uh, historian in the Middle Ages writes, it's hard to tell how, you know, reliable these sources mm -hmm. are sometimes, but it, one medieval historian tells us that he had wounds and scars on his body when he attended the Council of Nicaea wow. in 325. Uh, and it was a common uh, thing for that for that mm. to happen. It was uh, common torture uh, at the time to blind the right eye <laughs> and uh, cut the sinew of the left oh, ankle. Of and so uh, Nicholas, he would have lived through the great persecution, mm. the last big persecution under Diocletian, in which uh, you know churches were uh, basically forced to hand over copies of the scriptures. Mm. And uh, Nicholas earned the title of confessor because although he didn't die for his faith, he, re he refused to renounce it or hand over the scriptures to be burned. And so uh, he survived the persecution and, and lived on wow. uh, serving as a bishop for decades. And then in the 60s, Constantine mm -hmm. became emperor and made uh, stopped the persecution of Christians, made Christians favored. And uh, basically his whole world, you know, was, was very mm -hmm. different from that point. Amazing, forward. amazing. That's incredible, John. So how do we get to know St. Nicholas today? So how how has this story sort of developed throughout history and how did he become what he's known as Santa Claus today? <laughs> uh, it was a long and strange journey. Uh, Nicholas, in his earliest days, was actually known as a patron saint of prisoners. Okay. There are multiple legends that concern him that some of them probably are rooted in fact uh, that have to do with him uh, as Bishop standing up for people who were falsely okay. accused of crimes and uh, even basically uh, going into the governor's uh, presence and calling him out for accepting bribes to kill innocent people. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's actually somewhat plausible because when Constantine took over, uh, bishops were, uh, they had a lot of political power. Constantine uh, explicitly gave mm -hmm. them political power, probably to try to counterbalance uh, these these other governors. And so in some cases, bishops could serve as uh, mediators. They could even serve as appellate judges. And they had the ability to overturn court decisions and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Nicholas uh, may have used that political power to get uh, prisoners off the hook. Um, he also became known as uh, a friend of sailors. There are several stories about sailors praying to St. Nicholas for help in the middle of storms uh, and receiving help. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the Vikings in the Middle Ages, Christopher Columbus, um, all of these people sailed under the protection of wow. Nicholas. Like they would throw pieces of bread, three Nicholas loaves into the ocean, <laughs> hoping for a smooth voyage. Wow. There's actually a town in Haiti on the northwest coast yeah. of Haiti named after wow. him, uh, because of this tradition of being a friend of sailors, which is an amazing wow. connection. So, so my point being, he didn't, he wasn't known for the gift giving primarily for a long yeah. time. It's uh, not, not quite clear when that became the primary mm -hmm. story about him, uh, but sometime in the 1800s, uh, the Dutch had a tradition of celebrating St. Nicholas Day, which is December yeah. 6th. It's probably the day on which mm -hmm. he died. And they they shortened his name from St. Nicholas 
to Sinterklaas <laughs> and started the tradition of giving gifts to others, wow. uh, you know, in emulation of, of the gift that St. Nicholas had given. It's a day of generosity. Wow. And then gradually that turned into uh, Christmas shopping and stores having, uh, you know, replicas of, of St. Nicholas. And then, you know, uh, that turned into uh, the whole tradition of Santa Claus through the influence of various uh, marketing schemes and poems and, and, and advertisements and newspapers. Wow. Uh, so somehow, you know, St. Nicholas of Myra was transformed into the jolly old <laughs> elf. <from the> That's <laughs> crazy. Oh, amazing, though. Thank you so much for telling us that story. And I love that it's it's still like... As, as we've heard of St. Nicholas sort of going and giving things in the name of Jesus Christ and, and as that Christian charity, I love that they're still married together today celebrating the birth of Jesus and sort of that Christian charity, Christian giving um, and Santa Claus together. So I think that's yeah. really cool. Um, so can you tell us a little bit, John, maybe about you know, how does this impact us today? I know like lots of people celebrate Christmas and Santa Claus and stuff like that, but how does his life and his, you know, the events of his life and the history of, of St. Nicholas, how can that inspire and equip the church of today? I think his uh, story about his gift giving uh, really stands mm -hmm. out in church history for a number of reasons, mm -hmm. and it's inspiring to us today. Uh it really stood out in its time because uh, for, for several reasons, first, it was an example of intentional targeted mm. giving. He didn't give randomly. He really thought through the needs yeah. of the people he was giving to. He thought through the need of the father to kind of preserve his own dignity, uh, you know, before he gave. So that's why he, he didn't choose to give as a big benefactor, but, mm. you know, basically just throw the money through the window. Uh, he, stands out because he didn't see wealth as inherently unspiritual like many people of wow. his day did but he gave simply for love's sake mm -hmm. uh as, as, as i said he gave anonymously which was really uncommon mm -hmm. in the ancient world people love to give in the ancient world but they love to have their <laughs> name on things at you know when yeah. they gave uh which is still with us yeah. today i think a lot of <laughs> we know that today as well uh he stands out as a saint because he didn't do anything super spiritual. Like there's no miracles mm. uh, in the story. Uh, anybody could have done what he did. Mm. He just saw a need wow. and he met it. And fifth, he stands out because uh, he, he did it in order to help people get married. Wow. Uh, so in the context of his day, uh, that would have been really surprising. Wow. A lot of Christians at that time saw celibacy as a higher life, as more spiritual than marriage. Wow. You know, at the Council of Nicaea, which mm. he may or may not have attended, they dealt, one of the questions they dealt with uh, was whether the church ought to encourage castration uh, for the sake of the wow. kingdom. And, you know, and, and pretty much everybody in church history after that is saying, thank God that they yeah. decided it wasn't Amazing. necessary. <laughs> I mean, one of the church fathers, uh, Hilary of Poitiers, encouraged his daughter not to marry and was disappointed when she Crazy. did. So that was the kind of the mm. attitude, marriage is a lesser life. But Nicholas intentionally gave his fortune to these women to help them get married. And that implies that he believed that marriage was more than just a concession mm. to the weak. Wow. Uh, but it was an honorable state in and of itself. Mm. He could have chosen to spend his money on any cause, but he mm. chose uh, that one. And so for all those reasons, um, you know, he stands out in church history. And I think all of those are positive mm. things that we can 
still hold on to I it. love that, John. Thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, that's so fascinating and really does show and highlight the developments between like the different positions that people had in church history on different things. So, you know, often we can sort of look back and feel like it might be a static sort of, we believe this at this point and that and whatever, but it just shows how there's a development of thought, a development um, of, of thinking and theology all the way throughout church history. And they didn't always have it right. They were just sort of figuring it out along the way. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Right. It's a big conversation. Yeah. Awesome. So we always like to finish up, John, with some fun facts, some crazy stories, anything quirky that we know about these people. So um, I guess for St. Nicholas, there must be, even throughout the myth of Saint, uh, of Santa Claus and all this sort of stuff, there must be some fun facts that you know of. Is there anything that you can think of? Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so starting with, uh, it's, it looks increasingly likely that Nicholas was at the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it, it looks unlikely that one of the most entertaining stories about Nicholas at Nicaea is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so an apocryphal tradition says that Nicholas was so outraged at the council by Arius's blasphemy against the Trinity uh, that he he slapped him in the face. Yeah. So, uh, there's, a, there's a meme on Facebook you may have seen that says, yeah. I came to give kids presents and punch heretics, and I'm all out of presents. <laughs> yes. Uh, so awesome. he... That's probably not true because Arius wouldn't have been invited to the council in the first place. He wasn't a bishop. Yeah. Um, and it's not completely clear that Nicholas himself was there. Mm. Um, so unfortunately uh, for my imagination, that, that's probably not a true story. There is another story. Let's, let's that say it was. Managed... Yeah, let's, 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 let's pretend, pretend it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there is another tradition that says Nicholas won over a pastor who had gone over to the Arian side by writing letters to him that kind of urged him to put his pride aside and be reconciled with the other bishops and that he was successful. Uh, another story about Nicholas that's interesting is that uh, he really had a lot of political power as a bishop after the Constantinian shift. And at, at age 70, he decided to use that power to go after kind of the biggest uh, religion in the in the area. So uh, a few hundred years after Paul, the people in Turkey were still worshiping uh, Artemis or Diana of, of the Ephesians, you know, this goddess who had fallen from the sky and, uh, you know, was believed to be a goddess of fertility. And so uh, one of his biographers, uh, a guy named Michael the Archimandrite, says that Nicholas would go around preaching in villages and roadside markets uh, often at great risk to himself, since there was a lot of tension between wow. pagans and Christians in those days. Uh, but Nicholas uh, eventually was able to use his political leverage <laughs> to get the temple of, of, of Artemis destroyed. Wow, <laughs> so, amazing. It says he, he went inside the temple and shooed away the demons uh, before they, 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 they tore it down. Uh, wow. by, by doing that, uh, obviously today, I, I don't know if everybody would think that that was actually, you know, a... Uh, a, a nice thing to do, a, 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 the right thing to do. But yeah. Nicholas saw this as like, this is a huge uh, perpetuator of idolatry in my region. Mm. And uh, I'm just going to get rid of it. And it, it did permanently alter the, the spiritual landscape of the province. Wow. You know, Artemis was never really worshipped again yeah. uh, in that area. Wow. Uh, so um, that had a big impact. Another uh, weird fact about him is that uh, he... Uh, he died at the age of 75, and uh, one of his biographer writes that his body 
uh, with the fragrant odor of virtue was buried in his church. And uh, when he mm -hmm. says fragrant odor, uh, it's not just a metaphor. Like shortly okay. after his burial, his tomb began to ooze this kind of aromatic oil that they buried him with. And it, it's actually uh, still oozing, uh, I believe it's still oozing uh, to the present day. Uh, it's called the myrrh of Myra. Wow. Some people claim it had healing properties. His tomb was a big pilgrimage spot uh, in the Middle Ages. I'm not actually sure how the oil is still oozing because another interesting fact about him <laughs> is that his, his body is not lying today where he was buried. So he was buried over in what today would be Turkey. And uh, shortly before the first crusade, uh, the Christians in the West could see that the Muslims were coming and that his town was going to be overrun and his tomb was probably going to be desecrated. And so these crusaders did like a Navy SEAL mission into the, his town, dug up his body and, and, and got out of there so and crazy. reburied him in the town of Bari, Italy. Wow. Uh, so his bones uh, today are, are not where they uh, originally were, but they only got about 75% of his bones because they were in such a hurry. And so uh, some of his, uh, some of the other parts of his body have been turning up uh, in other parts of the world ever since. Uh, one of, of course. The, uh, <laughs> skeleton. Yeah, some of his bones were donated to a Greek Orthodox church in New York City. And that uh, church was destroyed uh, on 9-11, September wow. 11th, uh, terrorist attacks. Mm -hmm. And so part of Nicholas uh, is no longer recoverable because of that. So. Wow, this is insane. I may yeah. or may not have some of St. Nicholas's bones here in this office. And for yeah. a small fee of $100, you can come and visit it. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> you have me for a second. Yeah, no, no. I absolutely don't have his bones here. <laughs> One more uh, interesting thing about Nicholas is um, his bones were actually dug up in uh, 1953 at the Vatican's request. And uh, in 2004, uh, these scientists did a 3D digital reconstruction based on his skeleton of what he would have mm. looked like. And so anybody listening to this can just Google, you know, oh. what St. Nicholas really looked like. And you'll see, you know, a pretty, probably a pretty accurate uh, guess. And so um, he definitely doesn't look like Santa Claus. You know, <laughs> he had olive skin. Uh, he was over 60 years old. He had, he had a, and he had a broken nose, which is one of the interesting things they found when they analyzed mm. the skeleton. And it's a serious fracture. It's like right on the bridge of the, of the nose. And, uh, wow. so, you know, uh, it, it's occasioned a lot of jokes about maybe he really did get into a fist fight. With Absolutely. Aries. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds legit. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I was thinking maybe from persecution. In the it, face it could have been, not kicked in the face. Right. It could have been, yeah. It could have been a, a fracture resulting from the times that mm. he was uh, persecuted for his faith. Um, mm. but, uh, We'll, we'll probably never know. Yeah. Until we get to heaven, we can ask him that. Some so people to want heaven. to meet Noah. Some people want to meet Paul and Moses. We are going to go talk to St. Nicholas. Awesome. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for um, coming on the show, John Adams, for doing our Christmas special. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to us as well, for joining us on the Eagle and Child podcast. If you want to catch John Adams on social media, John, where can they catch you? You can follow me on Instagram, uh, John Adams to go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I pretty much post there pretty often and you can there's links to there to other things that I write from time to time so that's the best place to find me awesome awesome well thank you so much for sharing and thank you to everyone joining us on the eagle and child podcast we'll see you next time
Thanks so much for tuning in to the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.